Hello and welcome to Future Thinking from Stylus. Today we're continuing our discussions around inclusivity and equality with a focus on racial inequality in the beauty industry, where brands have got it wrong and how they can get it right. To discuss this, I'm joined by Charlotte Williams, founder of London-based 7-6 Agency, which develops and champions impactful and diverse marketing solutions for brands and BAME influencers. And also with us is Lisa Payne, Stylus's senior editor of Beauty. Welcome to you both. So first, Charlotte, um, could you tell us a little bit about what you do with your agency and also uh, about your work as an influencer? Yeah, so thank you so much for having me on. Um, so 7-6 Agency is a diversity-focused influencer marketing agency. We work with brands in a multitude of ways, but mainly pairing them with the right influencers for their campaigns. So we do that through a network that we have of over 200 influencers who are people of colour. And then we also manage a roster of now, I think I want to say six influencers, which is growing uh, by the week, it seems. Um, and we, yeah, we pair the brands with the correct influencers for their campaign. Fantastic. And in the wake of the murder of George Floyd, you posted a video to Instagram, which has now been viewed almost 100,000 times, um, addressing, <laughs> well, uh, maybe you could explain, you could discuss. Yeah. No, well, I haven't looked at that video since I posted it. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, yeah, I posted, so I forgot to mention, so I am an influencer of sorts, as well as um, being an influencer marketing agency and agent. So I've been in the industry for around nine years, starting with having a blog around beauty and then move to hair care, and then kind of now it's more lifestyle. I don't blog anymore, but focus on my Instagram. And um, I've, since launching the agency last year, I've posted a few race-related pieces of content, but mainly focused around the advertising industry, because that's, you know, where I sit, that's my job. And I never really talk about anything personal, because I don't see myself as that type of influencer. You know, I like to talk about hair and beauty, sustainability, and then sometimes about my job. Um, but I posted that video on the Sunday after the death of George Floyd, after speaking to quite a few family members and friends about just how sad I was. And then, um, so I'm mixed race, so I have white family and black family, and also Asian family, you know, depend through marriage, lots of different, <laughs> lots of different people in my family. But speaking to my white family and friends and them not understanding why I was so sad and so upset and just kind of crippled with my emotions. So I created that video to try and explain why I felt so overwhelmed with emotion. It's now becoming much more obvious to people how deep rooted some of these issues are and how subtle some of them are, so nuanced some of them are. Um, in that respect, uh, I'm interested to hear what your what your thoughts are in terms of how you know brands have responded because although there is clearly a sort of unequivocal response from many in terms of you know we stand against this kind of inequality, there are these much larger issues and much more subtle issues of racism in everyday life and the microaggressions that you were talking about, which are perhaps a little harder for for brands to to address or tackle. I, I wonder whether you think that there's been a, a substantial response or whether some of it is mere uh, surface response. There are lots of brands who have d 
done things like created social media posts in support, but they're not, I know for a fact, haven't done anything to back it up. There are some that have done social media posts to support, they're not known what to do to back it up and then got in contact with the agency and then we've created a, an agenda for them and an action plan, which is fantastic. And it's something that we are continuing to do now and we get at least one, one request every day from like a really great brand who want to actively make a change. So that's really exciting. But I think it's really difficult with social media to, to understand and to know what is actually happening. And it's language is quite, as you said, it's quite nuanced. So what they say they might be doing might not necessarily mean what you think it means. So I think we're in a bit of a weird situation where anyone can pretty much say anything, but we won't know until the next time round, you know, the next person who dies and then makes it into a it gets you know sent viral across the internet and then we all are aware of it and there's an, another uproar which I'm sure will happen in a few months and then which is actually really sad to say but it's the truth and then we'll see who didn't do well last time around and who needs to make a change so yeah it's really difficult what are you seeing in terms of brands truly implementing practices that demonstrate their commitment to inclusivity, especially in beauty? Are brands doing it well? Which, who are, who's doing it well? Yeah, we are seeing, us personally as an agency, are seeing some really interesting conversations going on and some really um, surprising reactions of people being educated. So we had a, a call a couple of weeks ago with a brand who wanted to talk about diversifying their their marketing and becoming more inclusive in terms of their strategy and I threw out some really basic stats that I just assumed everyone would know because they're you know wide on the internet um about how African and Caribbean women spend 80% more on cosmetics than their white counterparts and in in terms of skincare it's you know 50% more and these are stats that are just on the internet I just see them all the time in articles so I just assume it's like a common knowledge thing and then I was talking about how their foundation shades aren't you know inclusive because they only have like 10 whereas we for our influencers that we manage we wouldn't work with someone who has less than 40 50 is like my my aim but not many people have more than 50 shades so 40 is like the bare minimum and they were like whoa that's insane and I was just like well there are more than 10 shades of people in the world but I was saying you know if you marketed properly then you would do really well and you'd make loads of money because black people clearly spend a lot of money on cosmetics and on beauty um in general so you, you just need to like tweak your marketing to get those people and yeah so we're having really interesting conversations um that are ongoing that are really surprising because I feel like we all must have this. We all have information that we assume everybody knows and then they don't. And then you're like, oh, wow. Okay, cool. So that's what we're looking at at the moment and just seeing, yeah, lots of different brands, big and small, surprisingly some big ones um, who their, you know, their teams don't have this info to hand. So we're doing a lot of focus groups and um, yeah, workshops internally to, to help change that which is just so interesting. Yeah, brilliant. <clears throat> and Lisa, from your perspective, what are you seeing? Um, well, I mean, I think it's it's quite a tricky one, obviously, because social media has kind of allowed people to kind of put up the black square and then kind of say, well, we'll do some stuff. Um, 
to help donations um but following up on these things is difficult and as you say sephora uh they did the 15 percent pledge um so mm -hmm. they they'd have 15 percent black owned um brands in their in their stores which is obviously great but obviously there's also been some you know backlash against the realities of of their stores um so it's it's more about finding brands that are just genuinely looking to say you know we're seeing this we're listening we're understanding you know we potentially haven't done the best in in the past but we're hoping to change and this is what we're going to do to try and change that um so i think that the in terms of what i've been most impressed by is warmer beauty um which is is a london based but they started the or the founder of that started the pull up or shut up challenge which i think is 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 less about the product itself um you know their product is very inclusive and they've got um, um some super diverse marketing which is great but they kind of were trying to look at something a little bit more systemic about the employees so trying to ask uh, businesses to to openly you know acknowledge how many black employees they have um, and lots of brands have responded and one of the ones that I think that we wrote about recently was Clinique that pledged to boost black employees access to professional development to partner with black influencers and sort of request input from black creatives a little bit more which I think is you know only a really good thing in terms of sort of spreading racially diverse and inclusive messages within um, a brand from the ground up. Uh, so I think that that pull up or shut up was one of the sort of stuff that we were really excited about. But then equally Glossier, you know, which isn't a overly typically diverse on the outside um, brand, or at least the assumption isn't, but you know, they did a, a grant for uh, black owned and uh, businesses that, that needed some funding and, and, and initiatives like that kind of, go a little bit further than just the black square to sort of say look we're listening it's also about oh we're in a position of power how can we help how can we take our um some of our money some of our privilege and some of our position of power and 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 help the uh the people and the brands uh to sort of spread their voices as well yeah it's interesting when you mention aside from clinique the the, the brands you mentioned i think are mostly independent was that would that be right so, I mean, this is something which the bigger brands are still wrestling with. Are they, are they, is, are they being sort of challenged now by these upstart startups who, who understand this stuff and get it? Is there, is there a challenge there? Lisa? Oh, yeah, sure. Um, absolutely. I do think that the bigger brands are kind of slightly bigger monoliths that need a little bit of help from independent brands, but that's been happening in terms of product development, trending ideas, how to communicate with customers. There's so much that these big um, behemoths need to learn from independent brands. And this is definitely one of those things because it has been typically ind independent brands and not the mass uh, market that has been catering to diverse uh, consumers um, in a way that, yeah, mass brands haven't been able to because they're not looking for their diverse needs or the types of products that they would be interested in or just even able to use like foundation shades. Um, and so when you have independent brands who are very agile and are able to create a great product quite quickly and kind of have a, a more agile marketing um, and um, flexible messaging to, to fit with that target audience, it's, it's, it's just a lot easier. So Charlotte, could you talk a bit about you, you've talked a bit about how you how you sort of 
have these conversations with the clients that you work with and the brands that come to you. I'd like to know a bit more about how what 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 happens next. What's the work that you do together? How do they work with your influencers? Um, mm-hmm. Just be interesting to see the sort of strategies that you employ to to Im- improve this situation. So what we're focusing on at the moment is like a 360 approach. So we split it into team. So looking at their internal structure and what that looks like. Do they have people of color um, employed? Do they have black people employed? Are they listened to? Do they feel comfortable? Do they feel like they are heard and then, you know, they're what their their stories are being told in the correct way. So that's one thing we look at. And um, if they don't have any black people or in fact people of color, which we have come across, um, we then link them with the right recruitment agencies. We talk to them about different ways that they can structure their team, creatives that they can reach out to to ensure that they're, if not their team, because recruitment takes a long time sometimes, if not their, their official team, that their extended team when it comes to creative partnerships and um, projects is as diverse as possible and ensuring that the storyteller is telling their own story. Um, So that's one thing we look at. And then we look at their um, platform, so ways in which that they can use their platform to um, raise the voices for other people within, you know, maybe within the industry or the influencers that they work with, or talent, or anyone who they could give that leg up. Because what we're looking for at the moment is equity. Giving people, like equality isn't an easy task if people aren't on you know, a level playing field. So giving people that leg up and going to agencies like myself where we specifically work with people of color um, to get them in the faces of the brand. So that they're actively seeking that. Um, to make sure that they're, you know, they're seen. And then the last thing we look at is industry. So how we can, they can make a difference within the industry, how they can be the leaders, how they can make the change and what they might need to do to do that. And I think this is working really nicely. We've done it so far with a couple of brands and we're continuing to do so. And it's looking at not just your team and, you know, doing unconscious bias training and like making sure that they know what you know what they're saying is right or wrong it's looking at ways in which they can actually make a difference be that donations be that working with charities but like I'm really hands-on so rather than just donating how can your team do you have great PR like a great PR team do you have a great creative team could you bring people in to do internships apprenticeships work experience could you do you have access to you know maybe not now but you know like a really great venue that you can lend to um an up-and-coming startup or a brand or a charity do you have desk space that you can just give out for free so that's a, a, a small brand or a small company can not only have somewhere to have their company sit but also learn from a bigger brand and be around that buzz so it's all about figuring out how people can do more but not just because a lot of people are saying put your money where your mouth is and I don't always think you need money because a lot of brands are like we haven't budgeted for this I don't know what to do and it's like okay let's forget about budget what can you do that's actually actually going to make a difference in one month three months six months a year 
So now we're working on that with a few brands. And then as of next week, we're reaching out to a few more because we'll have a bit more capacity just to, in case they don't know who we are, just to check everything's okay. The ones that we're a bit worried about looking on social media. And then um, we have a plan that three months after we put the strategies together for the brands, we then touch base again to check they've got objectives. So to check that the objectives have been reached um, or where they are in that and then we go back in six months then we go back in a year and that i think is the only way that we're gonna um see change is just through accountability so we make really clear kpis that they need to hit and if they don't hit it it shows that they're not doing enough um and i think for me it's if you're doing what you said you're going to do if you do more that's great but if you're doing what you said what we've actually put into the plan and people are happy you're encouraging you know growth within your industry you're encouraging encouraging creatives and employees to flourish and you know grow and move on that's all we want to see because this isn't a short-term goal this is something that's going to take we can't like end 400 years of like systemic racism in you know a strategy meeting it's something that's going to go on for years but if you start properly then it should be easy to continue yeah i think that's a really you know crucial point this idea of ensuring that these changes are long-term because clearly we are in this in, incredibly you know uh, crucial moment right now uh, and obviously being in lockdown has emphasized that we you know everybody's very online and everybody's aware of what's going on and so this moment is 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 quite crucial but you know there's a danger of it dissipating as time goes on as, as other crazy things happen in this crazy year um it would be interesting to hear from both of you, actually, in terms of, you know, how do you keep that? Uh, how do you sustain change? I mean, Lisa, I, I'd be interested to hear about, you know, the, the brands that you look to from in, in your work in the beauty industry, writing about the beauty industry, who you look to who are sort of making the big changes, but making them, making them stick. Are there brands that are sort of the benchmarks for you in terms of, of doing things better? Well, that's actually quite a difficult one because I guess it depends on on where we're talking about making things better and how. Well, for instance, I mean, you know, the sort of go-to reference point, I suppose, for beauty um, in terms of greater diversity and inclusivity is, would be Rihanna, I suppose. Um, not, I mean, I could be wrong there. Please tell me if I'm wrong. I, I, but, you know, we, we've written about, I know we've written about Fenty a lot. Um, in terms of her marketing, it seems like it's a very, uh, you know, forward-thinking brand. Is is that is that an you know is that a brand that you would look to or are there others in the space who are more effective? Well, I think it is exciting because there it, it does seem like there's a lot of um, you know interest and in, in, in excitement surrounding that brand. You know, it's obviously because it's Rihanna and she's amazing and uh, she has a great following, but she also has an incredibly great product which is very diverse. Um, and I think what's exciting with these brands, and, and I'll point, uh, I'll put Pat McGrath in there with her um, mm -hmm. um, brand as well. They they're for everyone, you know. They're black owned, but they're uh, creating products for black people, for anyone. Anyone can use these products, and I think that this is where, in terms of product development, we're looking at where brands are creating product that. Um, is accessible to all and obviously that sounds very obvious but it's actually been something that's very difficult for example in sunscreen 
you know, lots of black people can't use specific um, specific sun creams because it creates a white cast. So then you've got, you know, uh, independent brands like Venus um, Williams's um, uh, Eleven uh, sunscreen company um, that's now launched at Creator Beauty, and it's an incredible um, high performance sun cream that anyone can use, but black people as well, because it doesn't leave a white cast. And it's 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 looking. Yes, it's about launching all of the foundation shades because that's the minimum that you can do. But it's about also exploring products that kind of work across all uh, all races, all genders, all ages uh, to to really have that truly inclusive message. So you feel like the the, the sort of long term future for successful beauty brands is that uh, sort of rather than being very specifically focused on certain areas, it's about ensuring that there is something for everybody i would say so i think that that excites me at least uh in terms of the stuff that we're looking at a lot more than sort of keeping things inside a very tight box how do you feel about that charlotte i think um you raised something that i talk about a lot so for me i genuinely believe any problem we have when it comes to race within any industry stems from recruitment so if we think about the whole idea of sunscreen and how a lot of sunscreens leave a white cast, that is something that's gone on forever. And there are, I can only use like a certain, so I have like two that I know that I can use and they work for my skin and also don't break me out. And that's not a race related thing. That's just a people thing. So we're very limited in general. And if you think about how that's made, so there would have been testing on multiple levels of to get that sunscreen made. So were there no black people to be tested on? Were there no you know, Asian people? And if you think about from the beginning, the person who made that formula would not have had a darker skin tone. The people that they tested it on would not, would not have had a darker skin tone. And if they did, then the, and it was important to the brand to be inclusive, then it wouldn't have got run, like that product wouldn't exist. Because if it works, we unfortunately live in a world that if it works on a white skin tone, and this is historical, then it's fine. But we don't think about any other skin tones, plasters as an example. My dad, very dark skinned black man, has never, until recently, has never seen a plaster that match, matches his skin tone. And there was like that video that went viral on Facebook because the guy was like crying because he was so excited about it. And that seemed silly. But that's like an everyday experience. Like imagine my skin tone, I'm quite like sandy. So I can probably have a darker beige would match my, my skin. But like my dad would never have a plaster. And I, I've always, I've never bought skin tone plasters as like an act of like political rebellion. And I always buy like Hello Kitty plasters or like random characters. And my boyfriend always asked, but why did you, did you do that? And it, it wasn't until recently since he saw that video last year. That he realized I was like but why would I buy something that doesn't that isn't made for me that doesn't fit my skin tone that I couldn't use if I had kids perhaps might not fit theirs like that doesn't make any sense to me mm. so this is something that we've always had to deal with it's just quite interesting now we're being listened to um and people like have an interest in that but I always say you know it makes economic sense to be inclusive because people spend money on things that make them feel good and look good that's always been throughout time that's always been a fact you know so the stats I said earlier about cosmetics in the cosmetic industry you know black people spending 80% more 
we want to look good as good as our white counterparts and unfortunately those stats if you think about it it's probably because we have to spend 80% more because I had to buy I had this conversation with a brand recently they said oh you know our foundations are really cheap and we we don't um they're like really affordable and but we don't have that many shades and I said well I've had to buy a 26 pound Estee Lauder foundation since I was 16 because there has never been a shade apart from that foundation in um you know a high like a drugstore to be American drugstore brand because they don't cater well they had in the past didn't cater to me even I remember my prom when I was 16 I got a number seven foundation which was probably the darkest at the time and all my pictures I, I learned how to um photoshop when I was 16 because all of my pictures from prom I had a white cast because my foundation was at least three shades too too light and I had to learn then how to edit every single photo that was taken of me so that I didn't look like a ghost um so it's something that and I'm really light skin so imagine someone with a darker skin tone how would they have found foundations I, I have no idea so you have to think about it. The beauty industry hasn't, and cosmetics in general, has never really catered to anyone who doesn't have a lighter skin tone. Um, olive is probably like the darkest they've catered to. And now people are listening and they, they, they want to cater to them, which is amazing. And I think as a trend, that's the best trend to be put into place, you know, listening to people who want to spend money on your product. <laughs> it's fantastic. <laughs> It almost seems silly that like the needs of slightly darker yeah. would, would not be on their radar in the first place. But then, it, you know, I feel like this is kind of, you know, the movement and, and how things are going is, is kind of popping up in really interesting ways as well. Like Cray uh, Crayola releasing the sort of 40 skin yeah. tone crayons, you know, working with uh, someone in the beauty industry to make that happen. But it's kind of little initiatives like that. And then also the darker, um, plasters it, they seem so silly and kind of almost throwaway little initiatives but actually they you know in the long term they have the ability to sort of change the way we approach things yeah and also how we think you know something I said when I when we first started the talk was having conversations about race with people who don't necessarily have these conversations every day even including my friends and family a lot of questions have come up that they've not ever thought because I mentioned them in my video they've not ever thought about and it's now people are having to think about these things and they're the most common you know responses I'm getting in like my dms or speaking to people about you know anything to do with race right now they're saying oh I didn't know this and I didn't know um you know this these things happened I wasn't aware and it's like it blows my mind to think that people weren't aware of these things but at the same time it's exciting to now know that they are aware of them and what could come from it. Well, yes, fantastic. I mean, that, that, that is what's exciting, right? There's, there's, there's a, you know, a huge um, upswell of creativity, hopefully, that's going to come out of these conversations that we have coming from a very important, serious and challenging place, um, but hopefully creating a, a, a much more positive future for everybody. Um, well, thank you very much for, for joining us. I'd like to thank my guests, Charlotte Williams and Lisa Payne. That was a, a, a brilliant and fascinating conversation. Um, and thank you for listening and watching. I hope you'll join us next time for more Future Thinking from Stylus. You've been listening to Future Thinking from Stylus, the show where our analysts, alongside industry thought leaders, unpack the big trends you need to know about. 
Find out more about what the future holds for your business at stylus.com. If you like what you heard today, make sure you subscribe to Future Thinking in iTunes or Spotify or wherever you get your podcasts to hear new episodes as soon as they're available.